My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I could have taken that 50000 and gone and bought a BMW, but I decided to invest it in my first home. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Irene Swan who has over 30 years of marketing and sales experience. She shares with us as a single mother of four children how she earned her success to build a portfolio that made over $2.2 million from property development within two and a half years. We find out what Irene Swan does in her day-to-day activities as a property investor where she proves she can really do it all. I'm a single mother of four children who's dealt with personal and financial adversities and risen above it. I'm the Managing Director of Boss Developments, Maruka Mall, which is uh, 16 retail shops and Lorraine Property and Lifestyles Proprietary Limited. I also own my own commercial property and I've just started a venue called Meetings at Milton. She delves into what a typical day in her life looks like. The last few weeks, I've been under the doona, <laughs> so is everybody else. But normally, I look after my properties myself. Um, I'm a bit of a control freak. I don't like handing over my finances to someone else. So before the pandemic, what I was doing is getting, I've got an approval to build 46 units at Caborcho on the river and where I'm going to be building 46 units and it's basically going to be for people 55 and over. Now, that area is really booming at the moment. There's a new hospital, there's a new university. So I've owned that site since 2007. Uh, the problem is we went through the GFC, so I'm really ready to do that now. So as soon as this is over, uh, I'm going to go to Sydney and I've got a couple of joint venture partners who would like to do that with me. Swan goes on to explain how exactly she was able to get development approval for 46 units. I've got a bit of a gift. (laughs) I can actually walk on a block of land and I just work it out in my head, whereas my accountant's got his piece of paper and not my accountant, my um, architect. Um, I basically, I actually did two development sites. The other one was on the um, waterfront at Scarborough. So I had a uh, development approval there for about uh, 11 units. But I've just recently sold that. 
because uh, I owned it with my ex and he didn't want to build it, so we sold it. But the one at Caboolture, um, it's on probably 6,000 square metres. It's on the riverfront. It's in a cul-de-sac. It's really beautiful. I mean, I wouldn't live in that area because I live at Paddington, but uh, it's it's good for, you know, people who like living out of suburb. So, yeah, so... Um, I'm really good at getting DAs, so I get I get the, the block of land and then I go and get a DA. And I had an architect, but unfortunately he died last year, which, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, we've been together like for 15 years. So, yeah. So he's really good. We usually sit together and I usually sort of look outside the square. So did he. So we had great, you know, great minds sit together type thing. Before delving into how Swan started her property journey, we hear a bit about her upbringing. I was born on a little island called Mauritius. Uh, it's on south east coast of Africa. And actually, it's a really a good story. My grandparents were shipwrecked on the island. And um, so um, they were Irish. And so I'm sort of half Irish and half Mauritian. Uh, my my parents had eight children. We were really poor. And um, I think from a very early age, I used to see these people begging on the streets and just people homeless everywhere. And it really used to affect me. And from a very early age, I had this subconscious thing in my head that one day I'm going to be rich. And it didn't start when I was 30 or 40 or 20. It started when I was probably about eight years old. And uh, my father, <coughs> who had uh, eight children, he was a bit of an entrepreneur. So he had to feed all of us. So what he used to do is buy blocks of land. And mind you, this is Mauritius, right? You didn't make much money, a few pennies. He used to buy a block of land. He'd subdivide it. And um, he would sell the back or the front. And then we used to move a lot. But I didn't realise that uh, I suppose that property was going to be something I was going to do until much later in life. It took me a long time to realise what I really wanted to do with my life. So I'd say that my father had a huge influence on me and he was a workaholic. He worked, you know, 20 hours a day. And he really loved what he did. Swan talks about where she grew up during her childhood before she moved to Australia. I stayed in Mauritius for the first 10 years of my life. At the age of 10, my mother thought that we should move to Australia. We moved to Sydney um, to give us a better life. And um, as a migrant, I went to school, to a Catholic girls' school, and I was really bullied at school because in those days, people didn't really like migrants. So they used to call me a wog and all sorts of things. So I had a lot of issues growing up. And so I sort of was always feeling less than. I had huge self-esteem issues. So, and then after that, when I turned 15, that was when you can actually start working. I used to work a lot. I've never had a social life. I used to work um, in, you know, Devondale Ice Cream Factory. I used to work at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I would work, you know, whenever I could, I could work. She looks back on her younger years and how she never felt good enough at school. When I was at school, 
I was so, I don't mean to say that, but that's how I felt. I always felt stupid because when I came to Australia, I spoke French, was my first language. And it took me a little while to get used to English and then I wasn't listening, I wasn't interested. And I come from family, a family that education is so important. Like my two nieces have PhDs and masters and all that sort of thing. So education to Mauritians is really important. So all my life, I sort of felt inadequate with my family. And for a long time, they used to say, oh, you're just a salesperson, you're just a salesperson. Well, this salesperson's worth more than all of them put together, so I don't mind. She goes on to share what path she took after she finished high school. After 15, so then I left school, grade 12, and I was a model during the day. Uh, I worked in Favot Street in Sydney, and at night I would work in a restaurant, and on the weekends, I would work in a wine bar. So I was always working and there was no social thing at all. And what it was is whenever I went somewhere, I didn't really enjoy myself. The only time I really enjoyed myself was when I was working and making money. So after that, I started getting jobs, you know, sales sales reps here and there. And I was getting stealing a lot of Australia Post accounts because I was really good at sales. So Australia Post came to me and said, uh, we'd like you to join us. And that was um, that was an A06 position in the public service. What does an A06 mean? Can you just explain it? Pretty high. <laughs> so, well, what it was is normally when you work for Australia Post, you've got to start A01, A02, A03, A04, A05. But because I was really good at what I did, and I had a, a great um, database of clients. Um, I started as an AO6, which is a corporate accounts manager. So I used to look after all the corporate uh, clients in Brisbane. Now, all the people at Australia Post had in my guts. They thought that, you know, I'd slept with the boss to get where I am, and I didn't. But they, because in, in Australia Post, you had to go through one, two, three, four, five, six. So, yeah, and, and that job was really good for me because it gave me, I had a really good salary, a company car, and it actually helped me buy my first home. Swan delves more into her superior position at Australia Post, showing how long she worked there. I was there for three years, and basically what happened, I hated that job. I hated it. I hated it so much. It was really hard to drag myself out of bed every day. And um, so one day I woke up. This is after I built my first home. I woke up one day and I said, right, I'm not going to work anymore. I gave up my work and I stopped working. And that was the best decision I made because ever since then I've been self-employed. And it was really hard because I had four kids. And um, I was a single mum with four kids. And so what I basically did is I went on the single mother's pension for about six months because I was really exhausted from looking after these kids and working full time. And, you know, when you've got kids, you've got to drive them around to sports, etc. So basically, so I gave up my job and that's when my life began. Having four kids is not easy. How old are they? Were they when you, when you left your job? They were young because my husband left me with four kids. And I tell you, at the time that he left me, oh, God, I was so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. 
um, it was a really, really daunting experience because what happens, you're used to having a husband who works and blah, 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 and the kids were really affected. And then I've got four kids I've got to provide for, and they were always like, mommy, 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 mommy. And I really wanted to get ahead in life because I've got an A-type personality. So it was really hard, and that's what makes my story a little bit better because it's really hard to find a single mum with four kids who really suffered from depression like I have suffered from depression all my life. It's something that I think it's probably in my family. So I've got a little bit of a soft spot for people who suffer from depression because I can really help them because I've been through it and I've learned to manage it and I've learned to overcome it. It's a very inspirational story because I have to say even having two kids is not the easiest thing and you've got both parents looking after them when you have to look after four kids by yourself. I don't know how you managed it. You know how how I managed it? I keep saying that my daughter has one little baby, two years old, and I'm thinking, I can't handle this. I can't do it. I think what I do, I do things in my subconscious, right? So when I do something, even when I buy a property, I don't, I don't sort of look at the property and go home and think, should I buy this? Should I buy that? I look at it and my, I go by my gut feeling and my gut feeling says, yes, buy it. And there's only been a couple of properties that haven't gone up in value, but most of my properties have done really well. Some of them have gone up four times what I paid for it. So it's, it's, I, I think I used to just get up and do it. You know, I had to do it. I had to, you know, look after them. And also I was really driven. My husband came to me and said, give me six months. I'll take the kids away from you. And I thought, right. Stick my fingers up at him and said, okay, we'll see. So basically, I was driven by the fact that I had four kids, I had to look after them. And also, you know, to prove to people that I could keep these kids, because it was really hard, you know, I've I've got to tell you. And the good thing about it, one of my sons is is an entrepreneur. He's actually in Singapore and he's doing really, really well. He's a CEO of Sustainer. And he's been interviewed by quite a lot of CNBC and all that sort of thing. So I'm really proud of him because he's followed in my footsteps. He's probably he's probably a little bit better than me at that age anyway. That's inspirational to hear that your son has progressed so well since then. And I think there must have been some kind of, I guess, adversity that inspired him to, to push further. He saw me work all the time. So it's just, again, it's subconscious. You see your parent do certain things. You do it. Coming up after the break, we hear about Oren Swan's worst investing moments. I think the lowest of the low was the first one I did because A, I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought, oh, I buy a block of land, I'm going to subdivide this. So I hired a builder and I didn't know, unbeknownst to me, he'd lost his license. He was, he was just terrible. The kind of mentality she had when she first started buying property. I used to go home and just do some due diligence and I'd ring up the council and say, can I do this, can I do that? But the problem is, I didn't know what I was doing. I just sort of thought, okay, I want to do this and I, I'm a bit impulsive like that. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. The successful mother of four shares the process of becoming self-employed 
after leaving Australia Post and how she managed to support her family. Let's just go back. So let's start from when I got divorced. I got divorced and I was left with a block of land in Tenemera, which is a long way away from the city. And everybody said to me, don't build there, don't build there. And I did, because if you tell me don't do something, I will do it. Because it was next to a big power line and my mother was scared that I was going to get cancer, etc. So when I was left with this block of land, I remember standing on the block of land saying to myself, who is going to look after me when I'm old? Because I remembered when I was in Mauritius, looking at these old people begging on the street. So that was my why I wanted to do that. So what I did, uh, whilst I was working for Australia Post, I gave up Australia Post just after I got my home loan. I went to the, I wanted to build a house. So what I did, I didn't know how to build a house. I became an owner builder. As a matter of fact, I still own this house and I don't even have a final on it. (laughs) So, so I'm trying to get that at the moment. So basically, um, what I did is I owned and built that house and I didn't know what I was doing. I hired a builder and I just watched him. And that was my first deal. And uh, and then after that, the property was worth about 150000 more. I went and bought another property, uh, which I subdivided into two. And, and then I stopped. I stopped investing in property for a little while because we've we were going through a recession and I could see people sometimes losing their homes, people were going bankrupt. See, I really understand what's happening in the world today because I've already been through this. I've been through the GFC. I've been through, you know, the recession of the 90s. So it does really help you make decisions because you've experienced it. Swan explains what she actually built on the property to increase its value by $150,000. Well, I built, believe it or not, a 400 square metre home. <laughs> um, you've got a picture of it. and But the problem is if I built that in Paddington, it would be worth a lot of money. I built it in the wrong area. And that's why I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And one of them was that. But in saying that, that house is the grandparent of all my properties because without that house, I mean, I could have taken that 50000 and gone and bought a BMW, but I decided to invest it in my first home. So once I had the first home, I bought the, I subdivided the block of land and nobody was doing that in my days. No one. I mean, I'm a woman, you know, in those days you couldn't even get a loan without a man. So, and when I went to get the loan for this, oh, it was so difficult. Everybody was saying, so what does your husband do? I have no husband, so I'm sorry. No, thanks. And then I actually went to three, four banks. They all said, no, no, no. And then I met a broker. Never un- underestimate a broker. They are really good. And so he got me alone with St. George and the rest is history. So basically from that house, I created you know, even though that house hasn't gone up, I mean, it hasn't gone up that much. It's only worth like seven fifty eight, but I'm getting seven hundred and ten dollars um, rental from it. That's still really good, and and I guess as you said, when you had four kids, that's where you first lived there, just to be able to have put a shelter over their heads. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also wanted a big home because when I was young. I didn't have a home. I used to live, well, there's eight kids, right? Even when we moved to Australia, 
We were living in somewhere like Parramatta because, you know, when you're a migrant, you, you don't know where to live and you don't have any money to... So I was, I was, we were renting a three-bedroom home. It was disgusting. And my, you know, some of my friends would come over and they'd look at it and raise their eyes. So I had this thing about giving my children a better life. So this house was actually the best house in the street, on top of the hill with views. You know, I felt really proud when I built that because that was, you know, there's nothing more... There's nothing better than accomplishment and I felt it really boosted my self-esteem because even though I was really good at property and I was really good at business, when it came to my personal life, I was absolutely a basket cake, you know, a basket cake. So basically, you know, you're good at some things and you're not good. But over the years, I've learnt to become my mind's master and not its slave and that's because I've worked a lot on my brain you know it's just done a lot of personal development how many uh, properties do you think you've purchased in i guess your your lifetime Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. what kind of properties were they it's one thing i hate i used to buy i used to buy a house for so much and then i would sell it to someone else and 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 then sort of settle on the same day and make 60 70 000. that was one i bought a Development. I bought a townhouse in Balkan Hills in Sydney. One of the developers came to me and said, look, do you want to buy this? You don't have to put any deposit down. By the time I bought it and it settled, it had gone up in value and I didn't put any money down. It was just like I was really making a lot of money at the time. And so, uh, and then what else did I do? I, I bought... When, when we moved to Brisbane, we, I, I'll tell you this story. I could have bought a place in Paddington, right, uh, in, in Brisbane, and the house was really old and dilapidated, and I was really, in those days, I was a different person. Um, I was scared that there were ghosts in the house. <laughs> so I, did, I, did, I didn't want to buy the house. And so I went and bought a four-bedroom brick home. See, these are all the things I you know, the mistakes I made, but, you know, we wanted, you know, kids in the street and all that sort of thing. So I bought a house at Springwood, four bedroom with a pool, blah, blah, blah. But then the house at at Paddington would have gone up so much compared to the house at Springwood. So basically, but I need to tell you something, the breakthrough for me started. So after I built my home and subdivided my block of land, I wanted to learn everything I could about finance and property. So I got my real estate license. I never really sold real estate. I just wanted to have my license so it gives me more choices. And I became a finance broker. So my breakthrough in life happened when I left uh, Brisbane and I moved to Sydney. I went to a ball in Sydney and I was sitting next to this guy. He was trying to give me eye contact. I didn't want to talk to him. Then finally he got eye contact and he said, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a finance broker. He said, oh, funny that my company is looking for a finance broker. So the next day I went to Myers. I bought a night suit and I took it back after the appointment. <laughs> 
And um, basically, I went to this appointment um, and, like, I'm very good at selling myself. The best thing you can do in life is learn to sell yourself because at the end of the day, someone buys you. They don't buy Ray White. They don't buy. So basically, they said, what is it going to take for you to leave Brisbane and come and work for us as general manager? And I just jokingly, right, I didn't think it would happen. I said, I want a brand-new BMW convertible. The next day, I get a fax. I've got photos of this. The next day, I get a fax saying, yes, you've got – it was a really nice green colour. And they said, when can you start? So I did something bad. I went home back to Brisbane and I said, come on, kids, we're leaving. We're going to Sydney. And as I said, I always make decisions – in my subconscious mind. I don't sit there and think about it because if I thought about the fact that, you know, um, what, you know, my kids won't go to school and lose their friends, I wouldn't have done it. But going to Sydney, I worked with, you know, Mark McGaw, Kieran O'Connor. I, look at the five people in your life. That's your future. I lived in Rose Bay. I drove a BMW. I had really, you know, CEOs of companies, I was associating with a lot of people. And what that did to me, I saw Kieran turn a bread factory into units, which I bought one of them and then he went broke. And so basically going there and meeting him, he inspired me without even knowing, he inspired me to think, right, I'm going to go back to Brisbane because my kids wanted to go home and I'm going to start investing. I said, I'm going to go for broke. If you can say to your psyche and your soul, go for broke, I want to die of exhaustion. I don't want to die of wear and tear. How much can I do? How much can I become? And that's what I said to myself. I was really, I used to be really into motivational and I'd play, you know that song, Simply the Best? <laughs> I'd play that every morning, just that little bit. And it would really, you know, give me a buzz. So when I came back, I, that's when I actually, I was in the Property Investor magazine. I actually made $2.2 in about two and a half years. So I made a lot of money when I came back from Sydney. And that was because... If you associate with negative people who go, oh, no, I don't want to do that, don't do that, you'll get, you go broke, you need to be, it's really important who you associate with. She delves into her worst property investing moment where she learnt valuable life lessons. I think the lowest of the low was the first one I did because, A, I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought, oh, I buy a block of land, I'm going to subdivide this. So I hired a builder and I didn't know, unbeknownst to me, he'd lost his license. He was he was just terrible. And then it rained because I actually moved a house from Cooparoo to the back and the house wouldn't fit on the side. I actually had a bit of a breakdown after that. So that was my worst uh that was my worst investment because it took a while to happen. And then um, you know, I had to pay someone else to come and fix all these problems. So I took him to court. Uh it was just sort of went on forever. But in saying that, when I subdivided that block, I was able to, I sold the front and I kept the back and I owned it outright. And then that, yeah, and then that house I I sold and then I bought my commercial property with that. As she goes on to explain more about this particular property that happened to be her worst deal, something else happened in her life. 
I bought the block. It was a thousand square meters in Maruka, which is about seven kilometers from the city. And when I see, I used to go home and just do some due diligence and I'd ring up the council and say, can I do this? Can I do that? But the problem is I didn't know what I was doing. I just sort of thought, okay, I want to do this. And I, I'm a bit impulsive like that. I just say, look, I want to do it. I'm just going to do it. And I didn't have any mentors. I didn't read. Look, in my time, there was no mentors. There were no people doing this. Or if they were, it, you know, there was really no books on anything. So I, I think my problem was I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? And, and that's why. And when something happened, I got really stressed and I got really depressed because I, you know, emotionally I was losing money and I was losing time and it really stressed me out. So that wasn't a very... And after that, I didn't do anything, as I said, for the next uh, five to six years. I sort of... Um, I just took a rest and I wasn't resting. I was still working and I was really working on myself. I started reading... Uh, Unlimited Power by Anthony Robbins. And that really, that book really motivated me because I'd just read that and I would just do what, what he said. And, you know, I think when you invest in property, it's really important that you are confident in what you're doing. And I wasn't confident with that. So, you know, I changed everything. And then that's why when I came back, I was confident I, yeah, I knew what I was doing. So when I came back from Sydney, my first investment property was a block of four units in Paddington, which um, nobody wanted to buy. It was so dilapidated. And I went to the owner and I said, look, I'll buy it. You have to give me access to this property for three months. I'll renovate it and then we'll settle, make it unconditional. So he, he said, yes. So I renovated inside, you know, just a basic renovation and my rent sort of you know, doubled in value. And then I made $200,000 on that particular property in six months, okay, because the market was starting to go up. And Paddington is a very good area in Brisbane, and that property is my, it's my little gem because that was what gave me the confidence to go and do more. So when I bought this, then I went and bought how many? One, two, three I went and bought three houses in a matter of months. I just kept buying because I kept. I remember going to my kids and saying, "Look, I've been looking after you for a long time. I need to look after me now. It's about me." But it wasn't really about me. I wanted. See, my goal is to leave wealth to my children. When you become wealthy, uh, it's all about leaving it to your children because what else do you do? So now I've got grandchildren, so I know when I go, I'll be leaving all my assets to my kids, which will, you know, make them happy. Inspired by Oren Swan's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll talk about the moment where everything just clicked for her. There was a mall in Maruka that I used to um, I used to go there and walk around and I used to say in my mind, one day I'm going to own this and it came up for sale and I remember when someone told me it was for sale, I just got in my car and I just drove there. 
And I looked at it and I said, you know, I rang up the agent and said, I want a contract. The initial driving factor behind investing in developments and property. When my husband left me and, you know, I thought that he was going to stay with me forever and, you know, his parents had properties and that sort of thing. I thought, oh, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to leave us properties, blah, blah, blah. And when he left me, it was this, who is going to look after me when I'm old? That was my main, it was like a mantra. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.